0: Hello, you're listening to the Various and Sundry Things podcast, The Vast Podcast. I am your host, Donna Gay Tyler. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Okay, let me start the podcast off by apologizing profusely, as it has appeared that I was on a unplanned and unannounced hiatus, Um, definitely unplanned. What had happened was... Um, I lost my voice. Uh this ragweed or whatever that's popular down here this time of year in Kentucky, um, just ate my allergies up. And um I, I'm probably not using that phrase correctly, and I apologize, I'm old, but um, it just it just triggered my allergies very badly. And I'm one of those people, when I get allergies, it um impacts my throat. It's like twice a year I get laryngitis and um you know, I just just lose my voice is really what happens. And you could probably hear a little bit of it, um, like the scratchiness, a little bit, the raspiness, um, which in recent years has become a little bit more common because I talk for a living, you know, teaching, all that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, I had really lost my b- voice badly and I was continuing to work through that, um, meaning my day job, um, teaching, and sometimes talking over students instead of, you know, using the quieting um, uh, signals and things like that, that I know that I should use. But when you're in a hurry and when you kind of get frustrated and fed up, you kind of revert to using the talking over voice. You know what I mean by that, right? And so then at one point it was just gone. It was gone. Um, It was so cute one day though. Um, one of my students, he took to, um, I have this like little, um, you know, little bitty um, handheld whiteboard and he was writing on it for me. He's like, I'll be your voice. And he was in my my first class of the day. He's like, I'll be your voice. And I was like, oh, thank you. And so I would like talk quietly to him and then he would announce it to the rest of the class. And then I talk quietly again to him and he would announce it to the rest of the class. And I think kids secretly like being in charge. I really do. You know, they may act like they don't, you know, like the power structure or power dynamic that teachers, you know, have in terms of, you know, them being in charge of the classroom, but give them an opportunity to run it, honey, they will get everybody in check. Like, uh-uh, sit down, you know, using all of my little affects and everything. Um, But yeah, I lost my voice. It took a while for it to come back. Um And again, because I really wasn't able to rest it much because, you know, got to work. Um Or I guess I don't necessarily have to. But as a teacher and anybody that was listening to this podcast that teaches, um, in the classroom, no offense to anyone else that works in the educational system, but if you're in the classroom, it's hard when you take a day off because you got to plan for the day off or you got to plan in advance for the day off. You know, we got to have emergency lesson plans just in case something comes up and you can't, you know, make plans overnight or something like that. So there's that, you know, most schools that I've, I've ever worked at have required five days of emergency lesson plans. But if you know that you're going to take off, And you got to plan for the day, whether it's elementary school, you know, workload you got, or you have middle or high where, you know, the students are um, changing classes and you have different classes. I have five, you know, you got to plan for all five of those classes and you got to spell out everything. You know, this kid has a runny nose. This kid has an eyeball that needs to be replaced every three hours. You know, um, (laughs) this kid's going to have to go to the bathroom, like clockwork at 115, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So in addition to the academic work, so it's just, it's just harder to take off um, from teaching. And I know I should, self-care, hashtag self-care. Um, and I think I did one afternoon, but um, you know, then you got to come back the next day. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I was just trying to give my voice a rest. And then you know, one thing led to another, and then here we are, the evening and the morning were the next day, and now we've got a British fortnight upon us. And we've missed quite um, a bit of time together. Um, the queen has passed. Um her funeral was um this past week I believe um black people who watched the funeral um listen to I shall wear a crown in the background <laughs> if you've never been to a black church and you don't know that song I shall wear a crown I shall wear a crown um look it up look up the um the the queen's funeral with the black music put to um in the background of it, put t- to the the clips. It's it's hilarious. If you've ever been to a black church, um, that's a very popular funeral song. I shall wear a crown. Yeah, it's it's definitely a black church thing. But um, it was kind of interesting when somebody put that to the some of the pomp and circumstance that went down with uh, Queen Elizabeth II's um funeral. But anyway, that's my long protracted apology. And again, I appreciate you hanging in there. You know, still wondering. Any mail for me? New podcast coming down the pipeline? Nope, forget you. No, I'm sure that you weren't like that because you've tuned in now, and I appreciate it so much. I appreciate your patience. So let's get right to it. All right. So the problem with this particular podcast too is a lot of the things that I have wanted to discuss in the last what week or so that I've been off. um, Some of it might be a little bit of old news by this point. It just is what it is, I guess, but I still want the opportunity to discuss it with you and get your feedback on it and all those wonderful things. So um, yeah, we'll pop right in. Um, I saw The Woman King. Uh, When was that last? When did it come out? Just last weekend, I think. Yeah, last weekend. It's only been out a week. Excellent movie, Viola Davis, um, at the top of her game, Um, as usual. um, I followed her career for a while now. I loved, 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 loved how to get away with murder. Oh my God, like I was really obsessed with that show in a way that I hadn't been obsessed with the show for a while, but The Woman King was excellent. I enjoyed it. Um, Went to the movie's here um, and uh, I I missed about like maybe, what, three minutes? I had to do a bathroom run, too much uh, Diet Pepsi. But anyway. Have a long that took. And I was doing a sprint. Du, 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 du. You can't pause it. It's not like Netflix at the crib. Do the people still say at the crib? I gotta find the the, the relevant lingo nowadays. Anyway, um, I thought it was good. Um, by now you should have seen it. Um, I'm not trying to give away any major spoilers or anything like that. But um, and I guess I won't do that. I, one of my favorite podcasters, um, my favorite podcaster, Demetria Lucas, when she was talking about The Woman King, she said as much too. Like, you know, I'm not going to give away any spoilers. But it's been a week, right? Go see it. What you waiting for? It's good. It is. It's really good. Um, probably one of the best movies I've seen seen in the movie theater this year. Um. One of the one of my other favorite movies that I saw this year actually didn't come out this year, and we'll have to talk about that in a different episode because that's not what this one's about. Okay, okay, but yeah, really good movie. The cast is superb. Um, John Boyega as the queen. Oh, the king, Lord, not the queen, the king. Um, I think Lashana Lynch from uh, the last couple of James Bond movies um, is also in it, and a couple of newer faces that I'm not familiar with. Newer uh, Hollywood um, actors who I hope um, you know this kind of catapults them to other you know roles and things like that. But I thought it was very well put together. Um, Director, um, what's her name? Hold on, let me get her name because I'm going to mess it up. Gina Prince Bythewood. You remember her if you've seen um, Love and Basketball. I saw that. I mean, that's that's also one of those like if you're you get your black card revoked if you haven't seen Love and Basketball. Um, I haven't seen The Secret Life of Bees. I know about that. I saw Disappearing Acts*, um, and uh, she did this one, um, The Woman King. Just a really, really good uh, movie, I thought. Um, really well done. I was trying to see. I know she directed, didn't she direct, uh, or she was a producer for um, Girlfriends with um, Tracy Ellis Ross. Um, producer also for um, some other stuff. On TV, the director of The Woman King. Some other, she, um, what else did she produce? Everybody Hates Chris, I think. Or was she a writer? No, director. She was a director for um, Girlfriends for one season at least, I know. Oh, and this on a uh, good old reliable Wikipedia says that she was a writer for A Different World. Um, and you're probably, you've probably heard of that too, I'm sure. Um, that was something that inspired me to go to a HBCU go to Howard. But anyway, I liked The Woman King. Um, thought it was well directed, well acted. I went into it um like a lot of people I've heard say this. I went into it kind of blind. I don't know if you're like me like when you go see movies, especially if I'm watching them at home, honey, I will look up everything on my phone. <laughs> just what was the director's shoe size in 6th grade? Like everything. I just I it's probably a little bit too much, but yeah. And then of course, I have to rewind like a lot. I've seen a lot of people say that and you got to rewind the movie because you missed half of it doing your, you know, the research for it. Like, what am I doing all this for? But anyway, um, I went into a blind, um, meaning I, d- I didn't do a whole lot of research about it. Um, didn't know exactly what it was about. I knew it was about um, women warriors um, in a country in Africa um, and, you know, not modern day uh, Africa. That much I knew. And that was about it. I knew Viola Davis was in it. I knew that, um, she and the director had worked really hard um, trying to get this movie um, greenlit in Hollywood, um, and that it, it had taken a long time, um, you know, to get to this point. Um, but other than that, I didn't really um, do a whole lot of digging into, you know, like the historical background. Even though, you know, as a social studies teacher, former social studies teacher, and just like a history, you know, nerd a little bit, I that's up, right up my alley. Like, ooh, what's this about? But I wanted to just kind of get a feel for it without having to do. You know, I wanted to enjoy the movie as is, because I know that a lot of movies, if they're not documentaries, you know, they take, um, you know, what do they call it? Um, historical license or whatever. They fictionalize a lot of things, um, you know, just so that the story flows. So I, I get that. You know, that, happened. that happens in all movies, I think, you know, that are not documentaries. I mean, I re- um, but I did. I liked it. Um, an interesting glimpse, a, a story that I really didn't know much about until I heard that this movie was coming out about this particular tribe. Um, that had um, female uh, woman soldiers um, who were leading, and you know their strength, and you know the courage, and just you know it was awesome, it was fantastic. I mean, if you know, I like a little bit of you know violence in my movies every now and then, just a little bit every now and then. You know, violence is sometimes the answer, right? Right. Um, you know, footnotes see also World Wars One and Two, um, current world war and not world war but current war in um ukraine and other places around the world but anyway i digress sorry about that yeah i you know i enjoyed it you know women you know beating up people you know a little bit of slash slash it's not as overtly violent like it's not like flying um blood and guts it's not that type of violence i mean obviously there is i mean because the women soldiers um, for the most part, are not wielding guns. You know, they weren't introduced to those weapons until the Europeans came, and they did, in fact, trade um, human uh, people. I was going to say human cargo, but that doesn't make sense. Just people. They did trade uh, people who were enslaved for guns and other things, and horses and all that other kind of stuff too. So the uh, woman soldiers would not have, you know, been introduced to guns. They weren't using that in, as their weapon of choice. There were knives and machetes and. Uh, Spears, and in one instance, Nails. You got to watch the movie if you want to see that one. Yeah. Finga Nails. Finga Nails. Um, I could hear somebody preaching about that. See these women with these long nails? Thank you, Mother. Thank you, Missionary. God bless. All right. But um, yeah. Now, so what I want to get to is um, the alleged backlash. uh, Blacklash? I don't know. Um, I guess after I saw the movie, I think, um, then I heard or read rather that there was a boycott, you know, some type of movement afoot on social media to boycott the movie. And I was like, what? But why? Because um, who is it hurt? You know, every time Black people announce a boycott about something I really try to get to the heart of it before you know. I go around saying, "Okay, you know, heck no, we won't go or we won't buy or whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing." Because honestly, boycotts can be effective. See, also, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Rosa Parks, Montgomery bus boycott, nineteen fifties, right? They can be effective. Uh, however, um, I think the cause needs to be you know spelled out and you know, well fleshed out before we just all jump on the bandwagon. So what I understand from what I kind of read and heard, um, on social media is that there was, um, largely a male backlash against this movie. Um, black men, uh, not all right. Um, be clear. So I don't overgeneralize here and get in trouble. Um, but apparently some of the people who the main people who were talking about, um, the movie were men, that it was a poor depiction of men that it, um, further like, uh, uh, breaks down the black family because it shows women as you know being fighters, and black women are already um, fighting against stereotypes of being you know um, too masculine, uh, too um, too assertive, I guess uh, you know too I guess maybe violent, and some you know the angry black woman trope, you know all that other kind of stuff. And then there was another bit of a backlash that involved um, whether or not this movie was going to accurately portray um African people's complicity in um the African slave trade, which uh, duh. I mean, some again, some of these things, you really don't have to be a rocket scientist. You can I mean you can really just like be what, educated in a public school in America to know or just common sense. Um, and I don't mean to put people down for public school education. I'm a proud product of public school education in the United States of America. But anyway, um, you, you for as in as much as the slave trade was effective, and I'm talking about in getting millions of people out of Africa, of course, they would have had to have had some assistance by Africans themselves. I mean, you know, white Europeans uh, you know, took advantage of tribal warfare and disagreements and, um, you know, people who were captured by African people who were captured by other African people were then traded off and sold into slavery. So yes, there was this issue of, you know, Black people selling or trading other Black people into slavery. I mean, yeah, yeah and not to excuse it, not to mitigate it or anything like that. But slavery has been around for much of the existence of humanity. I mean, once people started getting more polarized and into their own institutions and civilizations, I should say, rather than institutions, you know, once you get the advancement of civilizations and and you get warfare, boom, there it is. There's slavery. I mean, it's like, you know, somebody loses and they take their folk and make them slaves. I mean, that's been around for forever. I mean, one of my colleagues, you know, teaches seventh grade social studies, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, slavery, slavery. What what's new about this? It's, you know, it, it was white people enslaved other white people. Why is it? Oh, my God. Black people enslaved other black people. Shocking. Really? Anyway, um, so I guess I digress. You got to put that on a T-shirt. Um, I guess there was some backlash or concern and hence, you know, this whole boycott threat or whatever, that um, the portrayal of this particular tribe, I think it's the Dahomey tribe, um, Uh, That it wouldn't be accurate and that um, they were also responsible for, you know, funneling people, um, you know, their um, enemies into slavery. And so, um, like I've heard a number of people say, um, both in print and um, a couple of podcasters also, these people who were doing all the talking. Question. And this is the only one that really matters here. Did you see the movie? No? Okay, thanks. All right. Because if you saw the movie, then that issue was addressed. Head on, um, as I've heard other people say throughout the movie. As I was listening to a podcast the other day on the way home, like uh, Demetria Lucas said that she was like, you know, it kind of doesn't make any sense to say that we're going to boycott a movie that you haven't seen based on this particular issue because that particular issue is threaded throughout the movie and the complicity of it. You know, the complicity and. Of the the tribal people um, and, you know, being a part of the slave trade and, you know, the arguments, the the discussions and all that other kind of stuff that went around that. I don't think it was tip. It wasn't tiptoed around. And, you know, it was addressed head on because I don't you know, these people who the people who made the movie, I don't think that they could have gotten away with ignoring that. That was part of what made the warriors, you know, have to fight because they had to fight off, you know, being you know, captured and then made subservient to other regimes, other empires who would have made slaves out of them. So you, you have to, you have to fight, you know, in order to avoid that, at least in this particular uh, fragment of time that the movie um portrays, there was, um, you know, there didn't seem to be a, a rather peaceful time. Now, of course, that begs a whole nother question, you know, why are these empires ruled by men? Why can't we all just get along, right? You know, okay, but I digress. No, I don't, that's part of the line of um, discussion here. But anyway, so yeah, it just didn't make any sense that um, there were people who were talking about um, boycotting the movie and um, for those particular issues. And the second one, as I mentioned was addressed thoroughly in the movie. And then the first one was just stupid, like, you know African American people, Black people, Brown people, spotted people, striped people—they all deserve to have whatever type of movies they want out about themselves. Don't, they, don't we? We should be able to see ourselves in media, you know, whether it's large screen or small screen. We should be able to see the full width and breadth of our existences, our experiences, and it—we shouldn't, you know, tamp down um, on one particular experience because it might quote make the Black man look bad. End quote. Uh, enough with that. I mean. And honestly, the men who are probably doing all of this yak yakking about it, you're probably doing enough to make your own selves look bad. I'm the A, I put it out there. Hey, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and again, I am not attributing this bad behavior or even the um, negativity about the particular about this movie to all um, Black men. Absolutely not, because I've seen a lot of people, um, Black men, who were actually in support of the movie, who've seen it. Um, who've had nice things to say about it. I mean, it's a good movie. It's good entertainment, you know? So there's that. Um, In the middle of all of that, uh, which, like I said, that came out a week ago. And then I guess around the same time, a little more than a week ago, we had Disney dropping its clip for the much anticipated Little Mermaid with, um, what's her pretty girl's name? Um, Hallie Bailey um, as Ariel. Um, that one little um, piece that I saw with her um, seemingly like red locks um, under the sea, looking all, you know, beautiful and shimmery when she was singing that. I, I want to sing it, but I don't want to do it. Um, Miss Justice. Wish I could be. That's all I got. That's all I got. Still hoarse. Um, she got that real good, you know, airy tone. Mine sounds a little bit more like um, be Arthur's uh, grandmother or grandfather. But anyway, it was beautiful. It was like, oh, my God, you better sing. And a lot of the comments on social media that I saw, like, grown people talking about, they're going to the movies and they're going to be propped up right there, crying and everything. Like, girl, you better sing that song. And I was like, oh, my God. I wasn't the world's biggest fan of The Little Mermaid. Um, pretty sure I was grown when it came out because I'm old. But um, I've seen it um, recently. You know, I've kind of been uh, vetting a lot of the Disney movies before I um, let my daughter loose. Uh, watching them because I mean it can be argued that some of these Disney princesses are a little bit problematic. I mean Ariel, you know, all of the contortions that she went through just to be with some man girl bye. <laughs> you better be you, forget him. Anyway, um yeah, so of course, I shouldn't say of course, but it is America. So of course you had all this negative, I guess white-lash in this this case. Um you know, a lot of um, the the negativity was from r- racist white folk. And I know not everybody is, not all white people are racist. I don't ascribe to that notion at all whatsoever, full stop. But um, I just thought it was just, it's funny to me. It's funny and also stupid. Like, she's, a, and people have already talked about this ad nauseum probably at this point. But, you know, it goes without saying, or actually, I guess it does bear to be said again. She's a mermaid. Mm, not really a human, therefore she has a racial identity, and the, her ethnic identity is mermaidian. I mean, I mm, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand the I don't understand the the negativity. I, but again, people who espouse those type of ideas um, clearly don't live in this world, right? Because that it just doesn't it defies logic. She's not a real person. Ariel, the character, the Little Mermaid character, is a Disney creation, right? Right. She is a mermaid, right? Right. Not a human. Ergo, she doesn't have a racial identity. So why is it that we think that every princess needs to be white when they've already been white? Um, Since the first one, 1937, um, aptly named Snow White. (laughs) Sorry. I laughed at my own joke. Yeah. So 1937, you get your first Disney princess, Sister Snow White. Uh, uh, and then you didn't get a black one until two thousand nine. We got uh, Tiana, the princess and the frog. Right? Is that the name of that movie? When well, she was a frog for like three fourths of the movie. And I saw that one too because so I was like, "Yay, a black girl!" And it was like, "Oh, she's a frog." <laughs> a little bit confused about that one. Um, now that, of course, she wasn't the first uh, princess of color um, in the Disney uh, pantheon of princesses um is Mulan considered a princess but then she was like going against her own identity too you know um and then it was uh, Pocahontas you had her um uh and who else was brown um Jasmine from Aladdin um and then I, I remember the critique of that one was that um you know her attitude her her ways you know her affect was very Western as opposed to you know more um along the lines of her own uh regional, uh, ethnicity, where she, you know, what she should be, was more like an American girl. You know, she was also very, uh, very sexy in the movie. You know, dare we say, very sexy. Um, love the genie in that one, the first one. Um, no offense to Will Smith, I'm still a fan, uh, but Robin Williams was hilarious. I loved him. I did. Great guy, really funny, very frenetic. Anyway, um, yeah. So all the whole, the whole backlash against Ariel because she's black, it just didn't. Mm-mm, does not compute. Didn't make any sense. This it's, it's kind of goofy. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I so this is where I go into my melanated musings part because as I was thinking about this, um, this backlash against uh, Ariel, you know, reminded me of some other issues that, um, you know, have been in the media in terms of characters of color, um, characters who have been portrayed by people of color, and I know some people have problems with that term. But, you know, um, have been portrayed by brown and black people, let's say it like that. Um, So I'm a big Star Wars fan, kind of a nerd on that regard. Um, My family is not, and that's why they will all be disinherited. But um, I remember when, um, what was it? The Last Jedi first came out um, with John Boyega and um, what was the other actress's name? Uh, Kelly Marie Tran, she was Rose in that movie. Remember, and John Boyega was Finn. He was a stormtrooper that kind of like, you know, changed his mind. Um, if he only had a brain, I don't know why I thought of The Wizard of Oz right there. Can I say that in the podcast? Anyway, um, yeah, and so they were kind of a, a little bit of a couple. Remember in the Last Jedi, if you saw that, and had a very very prominent role, but. Um, she, the um, Rose nope her real name is uh, Kelly Marie, Kelly Marie Tran. She received, oh my God, so much ungodly, um, unfair sexist and racist criticism um, on social media that she deactivated um, her social media accounts. And I think I looked at it today. I don't think she's posted anything in a while. Um, I, I haven't checked it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look her up. Give me a second. Yeah, she has no posts. Um, Kelly Marie Tran. Um, and that movie came out, was it 2019 or something like that? 2018? The Last Jedi came out in 2017. And yeah, so that's when she got all that negativity and all that yang yang. It's unnecessary. And unfortunately, um had a really negative um impact on her um as an as an individual, as a human. But again, John Boyega got some too, um, you know, he uh, a- African-American. Uh, well, no, he's not African-American. He's British um, uh, actor. Um, yeah. And he's been in a, quite a few things since then uh, too. But anyway, yeah, a lot of negativity. Oh, and then there was the other um, African-American actress in the Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, like prequel series that was on Disney Plus this summer. Um her name is uh, Moses Ingram, and she portrayed the character Inquisitor Riva Sev- Sevender. I think like the or is what they called her, or something like that. Um, and that was that was actually a good little series right there too. Um, it was before Obi Wan got old, so it's you know like, again. Well, not really a prequel because it took place after when did it. So it would have been after. It's when Princess Leia is a little girl. I'm losing my order here. Because remember, the first three Star Wars movies that came out were four, five, and six. And then they did one, two, and three. So this probably would have been after episode three. Episode three was Revenge of the Sith. That's when the Sith Lord is revealed. Um, And um, Obi-Wan has that big fight with Anakin. You were supposed to be the chosen one. You know, cuts off his arms and or his legs, and then Anakin turns into Darth Vader. And so they take the babies, Luke and Leia, and they separate them and hide them. And so when this series on Disney uh, Plus picks up, um, Leia is like a little girl and ends up getting kidnapped. So um, there's people looking for the rest of the um, Jedi, um, and Obi-Wan has gone into hiding. And this um, black lady, um, Inquisitor Reva, um, or Reva, can't remember how they pronounce her name sorry um she's one of the people that's looking for Obi-Wan but she's an African-American actress um nice role you know like all right i see you sis you got a couple of episodes in uh huh but apparently she faced a lot of um backlash too and i remember um one of the articles that i read maybe it was on NPR or CBS i can't remember but like the question was posed in um on social media like why isn't disney doing enough to kind of like protect these um actors um because this this keeps happening right cuz if you remember the original star wars was pretty white until you had um Billy D Williams um uh what was his character's name i can't remember anybody but anyway billy d um <laughs> uh was he was in um episode 6 Five and 6, right? The Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi, right? Lando. Cal- Lando? Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, most of the, you know, rest of the cast of human actors were white. However, you got all kinds of aliens in Star Wars. I mean, seriously, somebody, um, I think that was a, a social media post. and uh, Maybe it was um, Disney itself. Like there's all these millions of species, you know, in in the Star Wars pantheon or just, you know, period. Like, don't choose to be racist. You can be, you know, it's so many other things to do. But I guess there was um, some criticism too of Disney, like, because I guess some of the trolling that happened was on like, you know, um, not Disney run websites, but, you know, Disney fan, um, Star Wars fan uh, websites. Like, um, but yeah, I remember uh, seeing that. And like I said, this um, actress, um, Moses Ingram, Apparently she faced some backlash too um, about being a black character. But I mean, look, there was Wookiees and Ewoks. The Ewoks even had a Saturday morning cartoon if you're old enough to remember that. Um, Yeah, all kind of androids. You got just a little bit everything. I mean, people in my family make fun of all the Star Wars aliens. Like some of them got one eye, some got three eyes. Um, You got uh, uh, Jabba the Hutt who looked like a big, poop. I mean, you know, gigantic actually, piece of poop. Um, you know, all kind of, you know, metallic, half robot, half human. I mean, that's what Darth Vader is at this point. You know, the by the way, I read um in a bit of a um sidebar note that um James Earl Jones is uh retiring from his uh voice acting role as uh Darth Vader, but disney star star wars they'll still have the rights he's letting them have the rights to his voice i guess as the darth vader character so if they want to you know put it together and make him say something else in the future they can still use it but he actively won't be portraying uh, doing the voice of darth vader anymore so a moment of silence for him yes luke you are my son well, no, that's not what he says. I am your father. And Luke's like, no, it can't be. And everybody's watching the movie like, bro, we knew that. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, they got all kind of little aliens. Everybody, everybody's an alien. Everybody's weird. How is it that now you just can't have African-American people there or black people? Because, I mean, Giant Boyega, like I said, is not um, American, but you can't have black people in the universe. Just white people and aliens. That's just I'm telling you, this kind of stuff makes no sense to me. It's it's illogical. And I'm sure it doesn't make sense to, I would dare say, most of you listening, you know, because you realize that it's just stupid. I mean, so there's that. So you got, you know, Little Mermaid backlash. You got uh, Star Wars backlash. Um, this series that's on um, Amazon Prime, The Ring of P- Power. It's a Lord of the Rings uh, series that when that came out, I guess within the last month. Again, same thing. Now you got black dwarves and people all up in arms over it. Like you know, good God. um And I can't think of that um, director's name, but he's got how many how many movies that he mined from that Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Rings and the Twelve Rings and you know Ring Around the Rosie. He had how many <laughs> how many Ring movies um, based off of that uh, the book series, right? Really elves, dwarves. None of these are real characters, but throw somebody of color, throw a brown-skinned person in there, and now all of a sudden, oh God, it's an imbalance in the universe. It's the dumbest thing, really. And that people waste their time on this kind of stuff too. Not that I'm wasting my time having this discussion, because I think it's worthy. It's worthwhile. But that people like put their fingers to um whose internet is it going to be this week uh let's say Viola Davis so put their fingers to to tweet and post on Viola Davis's internet really not internet internet like seriously this is what you all get up in arms over fictional characters that have brown skin wow wow doesn't it say a lot about them though Like, they're used to the norm. You know, these racist folk are used to everything around them being white. And anything that's not is an aberration and also not worthy. So not only is it new and different, and I remember having to tell a parent that, that what you see me do and wear is, you know, a function of my culture. And just because it's different doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with it. And yeah, I still got an attitude that I had to tell that parent that. Mhm. 2 years ago. I digress. Um just because it's different doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with it. But I get it because their normalized existence, you know, has been shattered by oh my god, black dwarfs. Who knew? Oh my god. Um what else I got? Oh. On my list. I have to pause when I say this anyway or take a deep breath because I mean it's Fox News. Moment of silence for what that has become but i remember you know there was some backlash or one of the um anchors speakers whoever those people are that do quote the news in quote on fox were harping about santa claus being white he's white you know he can't be black santa's only white it's a fictional character therefore like other fictional characters he can be any color we want to make him he could be blue Like the Smurfs or them people from Avatar. I forgot what they were called. My bad. It was long, wasn't it? Um, Yeah, he's a fictional character. It doesn't matter, you know, golly, it's just, it's it's goopy. I paused because I just, I had to take that in for a second. So again, I know where it comes from you know, I have I, I have the understanding of it. That doesn't mean, and obviously, that I agree with it, but it's so problematic. Um, as a Black person, even just moving here to Kentucky, like, okay, so I'm from Chicago and where I live, born and raised on the South Side, I can easily find a place to get my hair done, easily find a place to buy food that I like to eat, um, find places to go to church, um, mingle with other, um, black people or do things that, you know, black people do without like having to look too hard, but moving to a place like Kentucky, um, it's a lot wider here. And so some of those things were a little bit challenging, you know, you had to find your network, um, because not everybody can do black hair. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, Black churches and all that other kind of stuff. We're not going to even talk about in this particular episode how segregated church still is in America. Like, I I read that somewhere and I I wish I knew who to attribute that quote to, but like 12 noon on Sunday is one of the most segregated hours in America because people still go to church in their own communities. You know, as much as we have tried to integrate schools and other public places, you know, by law, um you know church is still very segregated um because it's cultural too it's it's cultural and you know the impact of that down through the years just for some people it just can't be changed um won't be changed and the, you know some people are just much more culture um, much more comfortable worshipping with people of their other culture and there's nothing wrong with that but you know lest we forget um but anyway like i said moving here um a little different um a lot wider But, you know, I could find, you know, I've been able to find some things that, you know, remind me of, you know, the neighbors and culture, you know, the things that I'm used to, the blackness that I'm used to. But that's the aberration. That's outside of the norm because America, you know, is Eurocentric. It is, you know, white is the dominant culture Um, when it comes to everything, when it comes to everything. I mean, when it comes to food, sports, it's religion, religion. Um, It's leaders. You know, we had one black president and look what happened after him. Look what happened, America. (laughs) Look, look what you gave us after President Barack Obama. Um, When you know, when it comes to um, beauty, um, you know, magazines, TV shows, um, movies, uh, just all those different elements, you know, they're they've all been whitewashed and we've people like me you know who are not white I've grown up in all of that and I dare say I probably know more about white culture than white people know about black culture and you know why because white culture is the norm growing up I watched a whole lot of white TV shows this wasn't a whole lot of black TV shows and some of them were just straight up buffoonery like yeah I'm not watching that or my mom was like yeah we're not watching that because that's how it was in my house we everybody ain't had their own TV. You know how I'm, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, um, <laughs> I digress again. But yeah, I, 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 you know, and I find myself sometimes explaining things to some of my colleagues and it's not, it's not problematic, you know, because I know they don't have a, you know, a frame of reference for it, but it's just a fact. I bet you I know more about white culture than they do about black culture, but that's because white culture is the norm. And it's not just because they live in smaller communi- communities. You can go anywhere in the United States and find whiteness. You can find it anywhere in the United States I mean, even in even in very ethnic communities, you're still going to find, you know, places where white is still generalized to be the norm. Um, But it's it's just and so that kind of thing where we and me, you know, I get to see people on the large screen that reflect people that look like me, that you know, have the same, have some of the same, you know, cultural values that I do that can do the whole um, shorthand and all of the um, mnemonic uh, uh, symbols and things like that. And, you know, have all of these um, unspoken conversations with each other. Um, So the sidebar was, um, oh my God, what's the lady's name from community and um, Kiki Palmer, they were on some um, TV show like password or something like that. And the word that um, the actress was trying to I remember, Yvette Nicole Brown, um, she had to guess that the movie title or the name that she needed to guess was Titanic. And all Kiki Palmer gave her was Rose and the way that she was like making her eyes look and she was like doing her body there's some body movements. And so then Yvette Nicole Brown like turns to the audience and says, there's a whole conversation going up here, going on up here between these two black women, a whole unspoken conversation because she said it's suit. She said um, later um, after this uh, clip was posted that she knew immediately that it was the Titanic. Um, but she's like, that's just the, you know, the, the way, the shorthand that black people have um, with each other. Uh, you know, when we get together at work, you know, it's a little bit of kikiing and all that other kind of stuff. Um, I mean, and that's in probably any work environment, um, you know, unless, you know, the black person is like, kind of like, you know, not, not down with that. And that's cool. You know, if you're not that type of black person, that's all right. Nobody, ain't Nobody, nobody, man, ain't nobody mad, but the devil. Anybody ever have that song in your church? Kind of weird, huh? A little bit of a weird chant. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's, it's easy to assume that everything that you see, you know, should be white, you know, um, The you know the white aesthetic, the white beauty aesthetic. I mean, we've dealt with that for years. There's been many a podcast, many a think piece, many a book, an article, magazine, journal articles. You know, professional and laypersons alike have written about that. You know, and the the woes and the you know the um, you know the esteem issues that you know many uh, black women have you know gone through the trials and tribulations, if you will, to use a, a church phrase. You know, of trying to see themselves as beautiful when, you know, that has not been the aesthetic um, worldwide, literally, but definitely here in the United States, you know, Serena Williams just uh, retired from tennis recently. And, you know, if you've paid attention to any part of her career, you know full well that she's received a lot of criticism, um, you know, been told that she didn't look um, feminine, that she wasn't beautiful you know, that she looked masculine and I mean, Michelle Obama faced the same thing, you know, in the white house. Um, there were people who literally, you know, drew, you know, what they want to frame as political cartoons, but they were racist, you know, calling her a monkey. like, really? You know, so my point is, you know, it's tough to be black in this country because you don't really see on the regular, you know, a whole lot of representations of yourself um, outside of your own community. Now that's starting to change in some circles for sure. Um, Disney, I think is pushing a couple more um, uh, characters that they are changing over or that that will be portrayed by um, black um, or brown um, actors and actresses. Um, are we still using those terms? Is an actor just an actor? I don't know. I got to check in on that. Um, but yeah, Disney's uh, changing. I think the artist, her is going to play Belle in um, Beauty and the Beast. Um, I forgot who's supposed to play Tinkerbell in an upcoming movie. Um, the actress who played Harriet Tubman was in Pinocchio recently too. I can't remember, um, who's, who's supposed to play Tinkerbell, but I mean, you know, um, so that's, that's starting to change, you know, talking about in the media, you know, right. So my little, segment on Melanated Musings here. Um, a lot of that is changing. I mean, you had um, Black publications that have gained you know, mainstream success. Um, I remember growing up reading Essence Magazine, my mother had a subscription and that's definitely not for little girls, but just to see the beautiful Black women on the cover and there in the magazine was amazing to me. I, I love the age issue that they used to do where they had um, all of these um, African-American women of, um, a variety of ages who just didn't look like, I guess, what we associate, you know, with particular age. Um, and it was always amazing. The oldest person, the most elder Black woman in that spread, you know, she'd be like five thousand years old. <laughs> it's like, what? She doesn't look a day over fifty, you know. Um, yeah, so like I said, a lot of that is starting to change. Um, Black people are seeing themselves, you know, represented. Um, in larger spaces. And rightfully so. I mean, this country is definitely browner. It's not getting browner. It is. It already is. Um, public school systems around this country are, um, you know, being, are getting browner too, are already browner. And, you know, I think there's a lot of difficulty in that sometimes that people don't really know how to approach people, how to you know, in school systems, how to teach them, how to meet them, how to reach them. Um, It can be challenging. Um, And I guess uncomfortable for some people, but I think there's a, obviously not, I think there is a a bigger lesson to be learned here. And it's not that people should hold on to their racist ways. How is that forward movement? Spoiler alert. It's not, you know? Um, And I think. The point that i'm going to make here is that this is where a lot of black people and white people who view themselves as patriots and i'm not saying all but this is where a lot of people where they end up getting off the bus with each other and that is this um because america has not um been held up to what it aspires to be you know i remember um schoolhouse rock the great american melting pot and then I read um, as a social studies teacher later on in some social studies textbook that America isn't a melting pot because people don't lose their identity here. Um, but it's more like a salad, like a tossed salad where you get all these different people with their you know, different ethnic and cultural um, identities and they just kind of get all tossed together. Um, but we don't coexist peacefully, though. You know, when you eat a salad and you put your fork in, you just, you fork up everything. Just whatever goes in on the fork goes down, you know, goes in your mouth and down your tummy, whoop, there it is. But we don't coexist like that. And that's been largely because um, the dominant culture, um, a lot of um, people who are used to seeing themselves in charge and, you know, at, at the forefront aren't comfortable seeing themselves alongside of. I'm not even talking about behind. But they're not even comfortable seeing themselves alongside of, you know, brown people. It's replacement theory um, that I think has been talked about a little bit um, in some of the more uh, extremist uh, spheres, news channels and circles and Internet circles and and whatnot. You know, it's this fear of being replaced, which it, it just hasn't panned out. It's like trickle down economics. It didn't, it didn't happen like that. It doesn't. It just. It doesn't. It it just hasn't happened. It's fiction. It's a work of fiction. Period. Point blank. Period. You know, um, cutting taxes for the rich does not mean that you know poor people are going to get more jobs. If it. If it would have. If that's the truth, it would have happened by now. I've been around since Ronald Reagan was president. It hasn't happened. Yeah. Okay. But anyway. Um. Yeah. There's this replacement idea. Nobody's being replaced. I mean, for for how long in this country, black and brown people have had to work twice as hard to get half as far. So. Who's being replaced? Um, black and brown people still don't own the mechanisms that move this country. Um, they don't own the financial me- mechanisms. They don't have their hands on the levers of power to change or replace anybody. Um, so that whole idea is also just it's trash. It doesn't make any sense. But again, um, these aren't just uh, social issues that people are uh, wrestling with. A lot of it, I think, is psychological. Um, sociological it, it definitely is. it's you know if I'm not the standard, then who is? Well honey it, it it's more than it's more than just one. Why can't it be a multiplicity a multitude of standards of you know excellent acting and you know what we what one person considers beautiful could be you know alongside someone else's idea of beauty, you know somebody's idea. Now here it is in music oh, we all right with that. <laughs> right. Ain't nothing wrong with uh, black music, I guess up to a certain point. Um, Yeah, when it comes to our music, there's no problem. You know, black music is universal, universally regarded, highly regarded. Um, Went to a trombone trombone shorty concert the other night here. Uh, and, And I just got turned on to his music this year too. I'm late to the party. Um, but yeah, a whole bunch of white folk like, oh, okay, you got a fan base, buddy. I mean, and he's he's a good musician, but, you know, that's okay. You know, um, white. a lot of white people can, you know, identify, you know, Black musicians, Black artists, you know, singers is what I'm referring to. And, you know, athletes, that's okay that, you know, Black athletes represent this country. Um both on the national, you know, international scene, you know, I'm talking about like the Olympics and even, you know, in our national pastimes, baseball season is should be wrapping up soon, I suppose. And uh, we're in the throes of football and then basketball will be opening up. When the women's um, NBA just wrapped up their season. Men's basketball will be um, just around the corner. But, you know, it's OK to root for black athletes. But, you know, when it comes to depictions of black people, black and brown people, um, this episode is titled melanated. So I do I'm talking about melanated folk, um black and brown people in I guess roles that have been traditionally held by white people. It it just I don't know it boggles the mind as to why it's still in the year of our lord 2022 why it's still so problematic. Particularly when a lot of the um backlash that has come against um black and brown actors have been about roles that are of fictional characters that have no have no color, you know, is that just, I don't know. It's confusing to me. I know, like I said, I know what it is. I think a lot of it is psychological. You know, if you don't see yourself as a standard, then who are you if you've always been the standard? then who are you? Who is your identity if it only exists in the absence of everybody else? So now that you are put alongside, and again, I emphasize that, not even pushed to the back of the bus, but just now you have to stand alongside somebody else then it's problematic, like oh uh uh-uh. uh. And that's not how racist white people talk. They don't talk like uh uh-uh, uh we ain't doing that, but that's that's what it is. It's it's interesting, but you know, hey, it's America. Oh, I know what I was saying. I don't think I finished up that point of a little while ago. As I um bring this to a conclusion, what I was saying was this is where um you know the point I made when I was or started to make where um um People, white people who identify themselves as patriots and a lot of black and brown people, they kind of get off the buses. You know, America doesn't live up to its, you know, its ideas, you know, the the, the ideas upon which it was founded. You know, well, of course, that in and of itself is problematic too. Um, Still haven't finished the 1619 Project, but, you know, it's this, you know, all men are created equal and the men might as well have had an asterisk next to it because at the time it was only white men who owned property that were considered equal. I mean, that's why you have the Electoral College. That's why those founding fathers put that in, because they didn't want everybody to have an equal vote, right? Right. But, you know, these ideals that people, you know, kind of throw around, you know, around the nation's birthday, you know, um, it's just not American. You know, we just, we should all just get along. But yeah, America just doesn't look the same through the eyes of people who've always been relegated to, you know, Um, position, diminished positions, you know, in society at large, it just doesn't look the same. So I remember, um, you know, once it became, uh, I think a little bit more legal in some school systems that you couldn't force kids to say the pledge, because I know um, growing up, we kind of all did. And um, I know even today, there are some teachers who still um, force uh, children to stand and say the Pledge of Allegiance. And I think the kids are, um, the kids are, doing, and, and it's Black and white kids, as a matter of fact, it's not just Black kids who aren't standing anymore and saying it. I think they've come to realize that the pledge um, means something a little bit different to people who, for whom that flag has not so, you know, been lovingly draped around. I mean, the whole, what I when I noticed it was um, around the time that Colin Kaepernick started taking a knee um, you know, at the start of the games during the, um, the star spangled banner pledge of allegiance, that, that moment, that's when I saw a lot of kids like, and I said, black and white, um, who were, you know, taking issue with that. Like, you know what, this doesn't mean the same thing to everybody. And also if we do have freedom of speech, isn't it part of their free speech rights to not be forced to say it, you know, America is not the land of indoctrination, at least it's not supposed to be right. Right. I know, I know. So again, I think that's where some people you know, who view themselves as patriots and uh, other black people kind of get off the bus sometimes. I know, you know, it just means the 4th of July means something a little bit different for us. You know, land of the free, home of the brave, mm, question mark. So, so yeah. Especially when you get people protesting black dwarves and black mermaids. (laughs) I laugh because this, when you say it like that, don't it just sound dumb? Don't it just sound dumb? Look. Um, more open-minded, liberal white folk who are, you know, um, allies, go, go get your other white people because them, your cousins, that's them. We can, I can't do nothing with them. I, they're not going to listen to me, you know, but, but you, they'll listen to you because you look like them. Go get your cousins. They crazy. <laughs> over here, mad over black mermaids. Honey, it's a mermaid. It's a mermaid. <sighs> I think I've mused enough. If I haven't said it enough, Please let me say it again. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you for listening once again. I do apologize for my extended and unplanned hiatus. Um, I promise I'll be back on schedule next week um, with another riveting episode of the vast podcast, Various and Sundry Things. In the meantime, friends, stay classy, stay woke, and thanks for stopping by.